Did you know that Buddhism is not a religion, but a philosophy on how to lead a perfect life? Yes, later on there's been rituals, temples, and statues that were added to accommodate the need for sacralizing the teaching. But in essence, it's a way for us to awaken ourselves to the life worth living. Hi, this is Takatoshi Shibayama, the host of the Future Design Podcast. In this episode, David Roylands, a Buddhist teacher, talks to us about freeing ourselves from the preconditions that society has set upon us, the focus on material, and the desire for power. What we should look for is obtaining a peace of mind, to live joyfully with compassion. This is what the Buddhists call enlightenment, or nirvana. So thank you very much for being on our show, David. And it means quite a lot to me because my family has uh, been a a part of a sangha, uh, my my father and also my mother's family as well. And the last time I spoke to somebody who is related to Buddhism has been since my grandmother passed away several years ago. But I would love to know a little bit more about you and how you got onto the journey of discovering Buddhism and why actually amongst all the other religions and themes of spirituality in this world, you have chosen Buddhism. Sure. So I grew up in America. I was born in Washington, D.C., grew up in that area. And as I grew up, I just always felt like things were not quite in sync. I always felt like I was kind of uh, not really part of a real loving community, a real uh, cohesive group of people that were living peacefully together and always kind of aspired for something different. And without really making any concerted effort, around the age of 17 or 18, I ended up starting to spend a lot of time with Asian people in America. So Filipinos, Indonesian, Vietnamese, Korean, Chinese, all these various uh, groups of people in America. And as I did, people always told me that if I ever started spending time around Thai people, that I would really love Thailand. And at that time, I didn't even know what Thailand was. I thought they were mispronouncing Taiwan. And they assured me that there was a place called Thailand. And if I ever learned about it, I would probably really uh, be interested in it and probably get along in the Thai culture fairly well. So in 2001, I met a Thai person and started to become interested in Thailand. And I was like, oh, wow, it's a real place because here's a person from Thailand. So uh, I connected it back to the previous conversation. And in 2002, I came to Thailand the first time. And I recognized right away that these people in Thailand are very kind, very generous, very warm, very loving great family values, treating each other with respect and kindness, something that I hadn't seen before in society growing up where I grew up. And in that first experience in December of 2002, having been in Thailand for three weeks, I decided I was going to bring Thai massage back to America to offer it to Western people for a technique that they could use for healing. So I opened up various massage centers and a massage school. Wasn't too long after that, I started teaching and about half of my staff was Thai and the other half was foreigners or or, uh, Americans uh, from America. And as we all came together through the therapy centers and through the school, I really steeped the school in the traditions of Thailand and Thai culture, which involves Buddhist teachings. 
So when people would come and learn Thai massage, they were also learning the culture and the traditions in which the technique grew out of. It wasn't just technique itself. And this group really grew and more and more people were finding so much value in the therapy and the education and so forth. And I was spending more and more time in Thailand itself. My wife is Thai. I also have a son who's, of course, half and half uh, Thai and, and American. And I moved here in 2015. And since I've been here in the last five years, I've really dedicated a lot of time to learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. And what I discovered is that Buddhism isn't a religion. It's a better way of life. It's a life practice, a way to learn and practice teachings that essentially leads the mind and trains the mind to completely eliminate all discontent feelings, such as sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these feelings can actually be eliminated from the mind where you attain this mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. And the mind never experiences these discontent feelings again. Yeah, that's a very powerful message. And and part of uh, being part of the group of uh, Thai people when you're uh, providing this service of Thai massages, what really got a hold of you to get really into the religion part? Because it's a, it's a little bit, uh, I guess, you know, there must have been something in your life or an inkling or some kind of dissatisfaction, whatever it may be that really attracted you to that religion. Could you give us a little bit more of how you really got into it? Yeah, growing up, you know, we weren't really equipped with how to deal with a lot of the problems that we were facing in, in life. You know, growing up, I had a very troubled childhood, uh, even young adult, you know, there was just a lot of things that we weren't taught growing up in American culture about how to relate to people, how to be friendly or polite or respectful or even kind, you know, in American culture, the, the places where I grew up, if somebody did something disrespectful to you, then you usually were disrespectful back. And, or if somebody was hostile towards you, you would be hostile back. Or if someone was arrogant to you, you'd be arrogant back or sarcastic, you'd be sarcastic back. And what I realized is, yeah, and what I realized in Thai culture and and these teachings is the more time I spent around Thai people, the more uh, calm my mind was, the more peaceful I was, the more friendly Thai people were, the more I could see their kindness and their smile, their peacefulness. I just started realizing that these people really have figured out how to live a very peaceful life, and all of that traces back to Buddhist teachings. Right. And even in our modern digital age, where there's a lot of uh, social mixing with different cultures, people from different countries, ethnicities, and we do experience quite a lot of cyberbullying that I've, I, that's another topic that I picked up a while ago. But it, through all this social media, it seems like there's been a lot of uh, lack in respect, spirituality amongst people because there's no physical contact 
I, I, I doubt anybody would do these things when they actually meet face to face, but because we're behind screens, we tend to do that. And we see a lot of social issues stemming from that. Um, what can the teachings of uh, Buddhism can help us to be more conscious about what we're doing in this digital age? Yeah, so all the teachings of Gautama Buddha or the Buddha is all about training our mind, not anyone else's, but training our mind to be more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy and recognizing that whatever we do in the world is going to come back to us. This is the natural law of gamma or karma. And by putting out aggressiveness or putting out hostility, that's what's going to come back to us because our mind is essentially generating unwholesome intentions, unwholesome speech, unwholesome actions. And by practicing teachings where we're being, uh, we have harmlessness, where we're not interested to harm other beings, or we're speaking in ways that are gentle and kind and polite. This is a mind that is not causing harm in the world. And by not causing harm, no harm comes to us. So if we're online and we're speaking in a very harsh way, then that's what's going to come back to us, not just online, but it's going to come back to us in our daily lives as well. And conversely, if we speak in a very kind, polite, and respectful way to others, then that's what's going to come back to us as well. So the Buddha gives us an entire path of, it's called the Eightfold Path that leads to enlightenment. And as part of this Eightfold Path, the first step is called Right View, where essentially we accept responsibility for all of our actions, all of our feelings, everything that is transpiring in terms of feelings and emotions that arise in the mind, we are responsible for those. Rather than blaming other people that they made us angry or they made us frustrated, through the Buddhist teachings, you realize that we're actually causing the anger ourselves. We're causing the frustration ourselves, And that's the reason why we can eliminate it through his teachings. And then the second step is what we call right intention or right thinking. This is to practice harmlessness or non-ill will, practicing an interest of not harming other beings. And by having that intention of not harming others, then harm won't come to you. And then what really narrows in on your question is what we call right speech, which translates essentially to all communication, including posting and text messages, emails. And what the Buddha shared about right speech is he said we should always speak at the right time, ensuring that it's the right time to speak, that what we say is true, essentially that we're a truth speaker, you know, one to be relied on, not a deceiver of the world, that we become trustworthy and dependable to all people around us, that we speak gently and we don't use harsh language and harsh tone, that when we speak, we speak beneficially, that our speech has a purpose and there's a benefit behind our speech, and that we speak with a mind of loving kindness. Loving kindness is active goodwill for all beings, and that we don't blame other people for, our, um, for certain things. Because if we speak without these five factors of well-spoken speech, then it's going to cause harm to others. And that means harm is going to come to us. So if we speak at the wrong time, 
then that's going to cause harm. So therefore, we're going to have harm as well. Or if we speak with lies, we're not truthful in our speech, then that's going to cause harm to others. So it's going to cause harm to us. So if we don't speak gently, if we speak harshly or hostile, it's going to cause harm. So therefore, it's going to cause harm to us. Or if we just chatter with idle chatter, no purpose behind our speech, there's no benefit behind it, then that's going to cause harm and therefore harm is going to come to us. Or if we speak without a mind of loving kindness, the opposite of loving kindness would be like hatred or anger or ill will. And if we speak that way to others, then that's the way people will speak to us and it will cause harm. So by clearing up our practice by developing a life practice where we're not causing harm to others through our intentions, our speech, our actions, our livelihood, and so forth. By not causing harm, harm will not come to us. And a lot of the religions and, and, and talk about karma or heaven and hell and all these ideas that are predicated on what will affect us uh, later, whether it be in this life or the next life, you'll go to heaven and hell or re reincarnate into something that we don't want to. Uh, and I think a lot of the modern people tend to kind of drive away because of these conceptual ideas that, you know, there's this thing that will come back to us in, in a way that we can't really see. So can you, give us your opinion on how we can deviate from that concept of, of this, you know, unseen thing that's going to come back to us rather than how we, can we actually be a better person without feeling that there's going to be a consequence at the end. Sure. So one of the important things about Gautama Buddha's teachings is nothing is based on belief that there's nothing to be believed and nobody should ever believe the Buddha and they shouldn't believe me. Every, all of his teachings are based on truth. And by learning the truth, then you can independently observe the teachings for yourself. So you need a teacher in order to introduce you and share the wisdom of the teachings with you. But then you can independently see those truths for yourself. And when you see those truths, then you have more wisdom and then the mind functions through this new wisdom in order to improve your life practice and create a better life for yourself. So for the topic of gamma, or some people say karma, these are just different languages, this is essentially cause and effect or action and result. It's a natural law, just like the natural law of gravity, right? There's this natural law of gravity that, that we don't, we're not aware of when we grow up, when we're two, three, four, five years old, we don't know about this natural law of gravity. We just know that when we stand up, we keep falling down and we keep falling down. And over time, we put our toys certain places and they fall down and break, or we knock over a glass. And over time, we become awakened, or we get the wisdom of this natural law of gravity. And then we can function in the world more peacefully, and we can go about our daily activities and conduct life in a very uh, comfortable way because we've awakened to this natural law of gravity. We've gotten the wisdom of this natural law of gravity. Well, this natural law of gamma is essentially the same thing. It's here, it exists, 
people aren't aware of it. It's not this mystical, magical thing in the sky. It's not punishment and rewards. There's nobody that's administering the natural law of karma. It just happens. And you can see it for yourself because it's cause and effect or action and result. And essentially what it is, is it's the result of our decisions. We use this word karma and it's really misunderstood by a lot of people, but the simplest way to understand it is just the result of our decisions. So for example, if somebody went out and killed another being, the that is an unwholesome decision. And because of that, there's going to be unwholesome results. The person's going to probably go to jail. They're going to be tracked down by the police. Uh, maybe the family of the person they murder, you know, attacks them or their family. Even if they escape law enforcement and, you know, family ramifications, there's probably going to be guilt and shame that invades their mind over time. And this is the karma or this is the result of their decisions. And conversely, if I was polite and kind and respectful to people, then that's what I'm putting out. So people are going to be polite, kind, and respectful back with me. This is the natural law of gamma, where through our individual decisions, we actually create certain results. And what the Buddhist teachings are doing is they're awakening the mind. They're providing you wisdom about this natural law so that the more you understand this natural law, the more you can function peacefully in the world with all other beings. Just like we learned the natural law of gravity, and now we function more peacefully with the natural law of gravity, the more you learn about this natural law of gamma, you will then function in the world with relationships, both personal and professional and other parts of your life, you will function more peacefully in the world. I guess we can relate to that in a, in a different uh, topics. It's like um, political... Uh, issues that are arising these days as well, especially in your country, there's a lot of polarization of different political ideologies, and, and there's been a lot of clashes going on. And even in Asia, too, we just don't really see it really right into our faces, but there's a lot of underlying racism, uh, a lot of you know political disputes uh, between various uh, ideas, country to country as well. Uh, what can we, how can we share more of these ideas uh, to the people who are uh, in the leadership positions, whether it be po uh, politicians, whether it be business leaders, because I, I find that we need more of these ideas to be spread more into this world, and I'm sure you're a part of doing that as well, but we are trying to find a better outreach uh, to people so that people can understand this a lot more. Yeah, what I do is I have a book that I provide for free to people to download, uh, or they can purchase a printed one on Amazon, because Amazon's really great at printing books and distributing them all through the world. But if people are comfortable with an electronic version, they can get it for free. Um, I have an audiobook that's getting ready to come out. There's YouTube videos, there's podcasts, there's um, online classes that I do for free. There's in-person classes. The way that Gautama Buddha's teachings work is that people need to reach out and decide to pursue the teachings. There, there's no guilt or fear or shame that's part of his teachings because one of the major goals 
is to eliminate these discontent feelings from the mind. So we're eliminating sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fears. So Gautama Buddha never used guilt, shame, or fear to try to convince people to actually learn and practice his teachings. It's only if people are interested to reach out and you know, take on the teachings and learn them, will they actually be able to pursue this path to enlightenment? And leaders and things like this, there are people in the world who are looking and who are involved and in learning from people like me, whether they're in political positions or leadership positions, community leadership. But what's most important is if everybody focuses on their own individual learning and growth, then the teachings will naturally spread throughout the world because there's nothing in these teachings where we're actively trying to push or force other people to learn and practice these teachings because it doesn't work that way. We're not trying to guilt or shame or fear people into learning and practicing these teachings because the whole goal is to eliminate those feelings from the mind. And you can't force somebody to attain enlightenment. They need to actively engage with the resources and engage with a teacher and have guidance to awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state. And not a lot of people have access to Buddhist monks or temples around us. What are some of the daily routines that we can incorporate into our lives that we can keep continuing this path to being uh, karmic or we, we understand the cause and effect and trying to be generous and, and righteous and, and, and all that to, to other people. I find that in our busy, busy lives, we do understand nobody thinks that being kind to other people is a waste of time, right? Or it doesn't really sure. mean anything for sure. And, but a lot of times when we're busy, we're, you know, in, in, in a political field or business where we're immersed with so many issues, and especially during these recession times, I mean, nobody really has time to really think about, oh, am I feeling uh, kind to another person? They just want to get the work done, and et cetera. How, how can we really drill that inside of us? Um, I, I think the, having a routine or, or some sort uh, could help us uh, give a bit more of uh, consciousness to understand that we should be following these practices. Do you have any... Uh, suggestions for people. Sure. One of the important things to understand with Gautama Buddha's teachings is he never taught worship or ceremonies or rites or rituals. He actually said that these things don't lead to liberation of the mind because it's just a ceremony or worship or rites or rituals. So what he encouraged people to do instead is to learn the teachings to not believe them, but then implement them in their daily life so that you can see that they actually work in your daily life. And this is how you gain wisdom through your independent observation of how the teachings actually work. One of the things that are part of this path that he laid out is meditation. And meditation is kind of a foundational practice that we use in order to train the mind. And this is how with his teachings that it's not based on belief, you can see the truth for yourself. So with a really well-developed meditation practice that you work with a teacher to develop, you can see the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind is gradually improving. So what every business person or every 
person in the world could easily be doing is dedicating a portion of their time throughout their day and their week to learn the teachings, uh, which involve more than just meditation, but learning the teachings, applying those in their daily life to include meditation. And it doesn't really take much time because you can just do it gradually. There's this gradual progression of learning and practicing the teachings. I call it a life practice where you're developing a life practice. And as you develop this life practice gradually over time, you see the improvement to the condition of the mind, which through making better decisions, you will then see that things in your life will continually improve. And this is how people knew that the Buddha was a Buddha, because as they learned his teachings and applied them in daily life, they saw that their anger went to frustration, to annoyance, to uh, dislike, to, wow, I don't feel any anger at all. I used to be a pretty angry person. Or they saw themselves as being very selfish before, and now they become very generous. Or they had a lot of hate before, now they become very loving and kind through his teachings. And they can see the transformation in the mind themselves, and they can see their life improving with all their relationships around them. Yes, and I, I really talk about meditation quite a lot with my close friends as well. And one of the steps that people really need to really get into meditation is, is the why. The, the why is always very easy to kind of explain a little bit, but there's so many methods out there. And the why also is, can be a little bit confusing because some of the teachings tell you, you you need to clear your mind so that uh, you can think more clearly, you can, you can, you're more efficient. I mean, there's a lot of like human performance kind of element that is now recently put into meditation, but we have seemed like we kind of started to lose that, that, uh, you know, the, the value element of it. Uh, that's not about performance. Um, what, what can we add into our, our words when we talk about meditation and why it's so beneficial for us is, is more of the spirituality part. Can you explain to us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yes. So Gautama Buddha taught two primary types of meditation as the way to train the mind, even though there's hundreds and thousands that have been created after his death. During his actual life, he only taught two primary styles of meditation. There's a couple of others, but those are kind of like optional. But these two are required in order to attain this permanent mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So to talk about the why, we need to understand the problems with the mind. So the problems that the Buddha discovered, the primary problem is what we call craving or desire or attachment. This craving, desire, or attachment is what's causing the discontent feelings in the mind. Essentially, we have this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind craves and desires and wants things or has certain expectations. And the mind holds on and it kind of craves permanence while everything is around us is impermanent. So the mind has this longing for example, when we were a child, we had, we really want a bicycle. We just want that bicycle. We just feel like we want this bicycle. We just know it's going to make us so happy. And we push and push and push, and we get mom and dad to eventually buy us a bicycle. 
and we're just the happiest we could ever be. We feel so great. We ride around the, the village or the neighborhood. And eventually what happens is this happiness kind of slowly fades and wears off because it was based on this condition of the bicycle. But then the mind starts craving more. Now it wants a motorcycle or a car or a scooter or something else, right? And now the mind get, builds up all this energy and it just wants this next thing. And if it gets it, it will be happy temporarily, but then it will essentially crave something else. Or if we don't get the object of our affection, then the mind becomes discontent. The mind becomes angry or frustrated or irritated because we didn't get this object of our affection. So this problem of craving or desire or attachment is where the mind is looking outwardly for satisfaction. And it thinks that this object of the, our desires is what's going to make the mind happy. And we seek out this happiness externally. And once we acquire that thing, whatever it is, whether it's a job or income or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a certain material possession, the mind is temporarily happy, but it's based on this impermanent condition. It's based on this temporary condition of the bicycle, the job, the income, the boyfriend, the girlfriend. And as all this stuff changes, then the mind reverts to sadness or boredom or loneliness. So this primary problem that we have is craving or desire or attachment, where the mind seeks for satisfaction and pleasure externally. And the first style of meditation that I'll talk about, it solves this problem. Okay, it trains the mind to not have this outward seeking and searching for satisfaction. The second problem is what we call hatred or anger or ill will, where the mind essentially becomes hostile or angered when things are disagreeable to us. So if somebody disagrees, the unenlightened mind is going to be hostile or angry or frustrated. And it kind of walls ourselves off from other people thinking that this is going to create satisfaction. So if somebody disagrees with us or we feel that we don't agree with what others are doing, we tend to react with hostility, much like an animal would react, right? We, we become very vicious and we block ourselves off from other people, which inhibits us from realizing the full potential of relationships, of being kind and friendly and polite and respectful to others, where we can actually peacefully coexist with other people. So this second poison or this second unwholesome root is called anger or hatred or ill will. And then the third one is called ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality. The mind essentially is unaware of the teachings of Gautama Buddha and unaware of this natural law of gamma, unaware of how we cause our own frustration, our own sadness, our own anger. We're unaware of this teachings that would lead to this enlightened mind. And because of our ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality or our confusion, we stay in this unenlightened state and we essentially keep causing ourselves all of these problems in our life. 
And it's only through learning the teachings and applying them that the mind then awakens with wisdom to eliminate these qualities of mind, these unwholesome roots that are causing the mind to be discontent. So in the poison of craving, and we refer to these, like I mentioned, as the three poisons or three unwholesome roots, we call it craving, anger, and ignorance, or greed, hatred, and delusion. This first poison of craving or greed, this tendency to hold things and seek outward satisfaction, we use breathing mindfulness meditation to eliminate the mind's tendency to hold on to things so tightly. And this is why during breathing mindfulness meditation, we focus on the breath. And as thoughts of the past or the future come into the mind, we let it go. Or as thoughts and ideas arise in the mind, we let it go. We just cut it off. And this trains the mind to let go because remember this central primary problem the Buddha discovered is craving where the mind holds on to things very tightly. So in meditation, we're training the mind to let go, let go, let go. And then where that becomes very beneficial is in daily life, if something happens that's displeasing to you, you know, say you got a traffic ticket or somebody spoke hostile to you or a certain business deal that you were interested in closing, it didn't happen for you. Rather than get angry or frustrated about that situation, if you've trained your mind really well in meditation, when these displeasing events or situations happen, you can just let it go. And then you won't be frustrated and angry and irritated because of it. So the mind can remain peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So breathing mindfulness meditation is eliminating this poison of craving or greed. Then the second one that the Buddha taught is loving kindness meditation, where we cultivate a quality of mind of active goodwill towards others without judgment. And through practicing loving kindness meditation and then practicing that in daily life where we're very kind and loving with all beings, we eliminate this hatred or this anger or this ill will that we have towards others. And we then can have really healthy relationships with all people. We go through life a lot, especially in business, that we have this sense that we need to succeed in life which most of the time usually means monetary success or, or getting into a, a powerful position uh, within organizations. And I think that really is directly connected to that craving. But at the same time, when we're in business or in any type of organization, we need to feel that we need to succeed to gaining certain type of titles or monetary uh, levels that we need to achieve in order to drive us to get there. So how does that... Uh, how can how can that eliminating craving also coexist with this necessity to succeed in life? Yeah, so essentially what happens and one of the reasons why people are unenlightened is because the mind has been conditioned to want and crave and things like you talked about, like a certain position or title or power or money, these kinds of things. And the mind feels like if I just acquire all of these things, the mind will be happy. My life will be happy. But we know that monetary wealth and uh, physical possessions and material possessions, it doesn't create happiness by itself. 
there's plenty of rich, wealthy people in the world that are unhappy, right? So we know that this is not truth, that if the mind is outwardly seeking money and wealth and power and prestige, you may acquire those things, but it doesn't mean that the mind's going to be happy because your craving is just going to increase. So if you aspire to have a $100,000 salary, you might work really hard to attain that. But then once you attain it, you might be happy for a period of time, but then you're going to want 150000 And then you're going to work really hard to get that. Then you're going to want 200000 And the mind's just going to keep driving itself for more and more and more and more and more, never being done. And what happens is because we're, the mind, the unenlightened mind is kind of motivated out of this craving that we oftentimes make decisions in life that we wouldn't otherwise have made. And it's just based on this craving for prestige or title or fame or monetary wealth. And because the mind is pursuing these things, we're essentially oftentimes making unwholesome decisions just because we're trying to get to the end result. Rather than build this really stable house, so to speak, we're kind of just haphazardly putting wood together and different materials to try to build this house and get some semblance of a happy structure. But then oftentimes that falls down because it wasn't really built, built in a very stable way. So you can actually pursue objectives and goals and interests in order to achieve things in life, but doing so through these teachings where you're making good, wholesome decisions along the way you're actually going to have a much more stable life, a much more stable environment and people around you to support you as you move through, for example, a corporation, you're going to be much better at building relationships and creating and maintaining those relationships through learning these type of teachings. And once you, as you progress through this organization, you're going to have more stability of mind. <clears throat> Therefore, your life is going to be more stable as well. So you can still pursue all of these things in life and accomplish a lot of great things, a lot of great success, but you'll find much more success in doing it where there isn't, it isn't precipitated by this craving, but you're making good, wholesome, wise choices along the way towards your ultimate goals. I think that that really means like purpose in life. Uh, can we find purpose in what we're actually doing? What, why are we waking up every day in the morning to go to work? They, if it's not monetary success, if it's not power, then it has to have like a fundamental purpose why we're doing what we're doing. And can Buddhism teach us how to find that type of purpose in life? To me, the purpose in life is for everyone to attain enlightenment, right? For us to attain enlightenment is a great purpose because once you attain this mental state of enlightenment, then the mind's going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. So this means you're never going to experience sadness after you attain enlightenment. You're never going to experience anger, frustration, annoyance, all these different discontent feelings, boredom, loneliness, you know, guilt, shame. And with somebody having attained that mental state, you have an enormous amount of time to 
follow and pursue anything in life that you would like to pursue. In fact, if you think about all the times that you've been sad or angry or frustrated or irritated, that takes a lot of time and energy that's absorbed into those um, you know, discontent feelings. So when you eliminate all of that and you understand the wisdom of how to have really good personal relationships, very good professional relationships, then all of your efforts in a given day are going to be contributed towards something wholesome, something productive, something that's going to benefit you and those people around you and perhaps all of humanity. So through learning and practicing these teachings, while yes, maintaining jobs and sustaining life and a livelihood, as you learn these teachings and implement them in your life, you will find where you're going to contribute to the world and how you're going to apply your efforts in order to benefit yourself, those close to you, and all of the world. And you'll be much more productive at those things because you'll have much better relationships on a personal level and a professional level that will lead to attaining these goals and objectives of professional or private life. Yeah, I think the fundamental goal that I always want to seek out, and many people use different words for it, fulfillment, success, I think it's happiness, is is all about, as you said, like eliminating cravings, anger, and all these negative feelings that we have uh, about ourselves, and then taking them out piece by piece to only have the neutral state of not having, you know, all these, um, you know, like these... Um, yeah, I would say negative because I, I lack words for it. Um, but is that is that exactly what uh, what it means to be happy? So happiness is a temporary feeling. Happiness can't be maintained permanently. And with people chasing after happiness, whatever condition in their mind, however they define happiness, they're just going to crave that. And they're going to keep pursuing it. So if happiness to somebody is uh, wealth, then they're going to pursue wealth out of craving. If happiness is having a, a lots of boyfriends and girlfriends and sexual pleasures, then they're going to pursue that. If happiness is power, then people are going to pursue that. And it's craving and it's never permanent. Happiness isn't going to be permanent because it's based on some condition. So the goal in life isn't actually to attain happiness, even though a lot of people think that and pursuing that, but happiness is based on some condition. And we know that happiness isn't the goal because there's plenty of people that are rich, that are powerful, that have plenty of beautiful men or women around them or great jobs, and they're not happy, right? And there's also people like comedians, professional comedians who are happy all the time and laughing and joking who have ended up committing suicide, right? right? So we know that this happiness isn't sustainable. It's not a permanent mental state that can be sustained. So the goal in life is not actually to attain happiness. The goal in life is to attain a mind that is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And this enlightened mind is without conditions. So the mind isn't peaceful because of some condition. It's just inwardly peaceful because it's removed all the conditions. It's, you've trained the mind to not latch on 
to this job and that defines who you are and this income and this prestige or this fame that if we latch onto it and we claim our happiness because of that, when that's gone or when that wears off, then the mind's not going to be happy anymore. So what enlightenment is and what these teachings do is it's kind of like stripping away the layers of an onion and you strip away all these layers of this onion that you think are going to make you happy. You strip away all these layers of the mind that appear like it's going to make you happy. You strip away all this conditioning and you get to the center of the onion and it's just empty. And essentially by stripping away and training away all this conditioning that the mind has gone through in its life, you get to the center of the mind and it's essentially empty. There's wisdom there. There's memories there, but you're no longer outwardly latching on and grasping or trying to hold on to jobs, income, relationships, and all these different things to create the happiness because the peacefulness is already there because you've eliminated all this outward searching. You've eliminated all this hatred and hostility towards others. You've learned through this path to enlightenment how to be polite and kind and respectful to all beings. Therefore, all that's coming back to you is politeness and kindness and friendliness from other people. I resonate that so well, and, and that's why I think I still uh, like the teachings of Buddhism so much. Uh, thank you very much for your kind words and, and enlightening words. I really appreciate the time we had together. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you had enjoyed or disliked the show, please let me know in the comment section. I can only improve or add value to you through your voices. If there are any topics that you'd like me to pick up, please let me know in the comment section as well. I'd love to start chatting with you. And if you'd like to continue listening to the show, please subscribe. Thank you.